We're in a series of messages that we're calling Love the 419 as we are preparing our, ourselves to be ready for our serve week. We have been basing most of our messages in 1 John chapter 4. We'll actually go back there um, next week, but we, we need to take a good look at 1 Corinthians 13. Our theme verse for this uh, series of messages has been 1 John 4, 1, 9, 1 John 4, 19. Very simple verse that says to us, we love because he first loved us. And so we love others. We show our love to the world around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our families and our friends, because God loved us first. And one of the things that we've done that, that's kind of unique with this series was last week, I gave you some homework and uh, challenged you to join me in doing some reading of scripture throughout the course of this week. And I'll just be real honest, I was kind of surprised and, and overwhelmed by how many people were actually doing the homework. Usually I say things and nobody listens, and you listened, and that was really cool. And I heard just talking with people, it came up in conversation, it was something that I heard or saw on social media. And so it was really kind of cool. And, and what we're going to do is we started last week, we're going to do this same thing, exact same thing, for the next two weeks, both before Serve Week and then during Serve Week, reading these scriptures that are in particular talking to us about what the scripture says about love. So on the screens, you'll, you'll see your homework, and uh, I'm going to challenge you to do that again, that during the weekdays, we're going to read through the book of First John. There's five weekdays, there's five chapters in First John, so Monday, read chapter one, Tuesday, read chapter two, and we'll read through that together. Have you noticed how repetitive First John is? How many times John says over and over again, love one another. Here's what it means to be a real follower of Christ. Like he, he emphasizes these things. And that repetition is a good thing. And then 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives to us probably this, this classic great essay on what love really is. He writes that for us there in a powerful way. So here's what I challenge you to do. This week... Read these same scriptures again. You, you might want to read them from a different version. If you read them in the NIV, maybe read them in the New Living this time. If you read them in the King James, maybe read it in the, in the English Standard Version. Find a, find a way to maybe keep it fresh, but read those same scriptures again. Let God's Word speak to you about this idea of love. And, uh, and maybe do this. Some of you are social media people. Maybe you, you, you have a tendency to post things on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you, as you read that, maybe there's a verse that's going to stick out to you someday. There's a thought that's going to come to you. Why don't you post that so that other people can be encouraged by that so that when I see your post, I'm reminded, oh yeah, I've got to read 1 John 3 on Wednesday. And, and it encourages other people and it kind of makes you accountable in the process. And uh, if you do that, why don't you use the hashtag LoveThe419. Just kind of put that there. If you don't know what a hashtag is, the person sitting next to you will explain it to you in about 30 minutes. And, uh, and, and so we'll do that. You just use the hashtag LoveThe419, and, uh, and that way we can share together, keep each other accountable in the process of doing our homework. And then through these sermons, I've kind of been using this unique premise it was a quote that I heard from a guy I know named Larry Osborne when he was preaching to his church. And I thought, man, that's just so good. And he talked about this, that if your life makes beautiful music, people will listen to what your lyrics have to say. You can, you can have well-crafted lyrics, but if it's not a good song, if the song's not worth listening to, nobody's ever going to hear what you have to say. But if you make beautiful music... If, if, if your life is a song that gets stuck in people's head, it's something that they, they hear, they see your life, and they're attracted to that. 
then they'll listen long enough. Then they'll come close enough to hear what it is that you're really trying to say. This is what Serve Week is all about. If we as a church will make beautiful music, then it gives us the opportunity for people to hear what we have to say about how Jesus has changed our lives. Have you ever, have you ever had a song get stuck in your head? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, ah, oh, there's some of these songs you're like, I can't, I can't stop singing this. A couple of weeks ago, um, my, my, my daughter had a song that was just stuck in her head, and she kept singing it and singing it until all of us thought about, you know, voting her off the island. We were going to banish her from the house, right? It's like, this is not cool. But you get the song stuck in your head. I remember, like, very clearly this, like, it was, it was kind of one of the first times. I was, like, probably 11 or 12 and this song that just got stuck in my head, and I would hear it, and then it would be in my head all day. I think it was kind of one of the first times, kind of at that age where you're really starting to discover music and kind of what your taste in music is. And it's kind of one of the first times that I ever remember thinking to myself, oh, this is a, this is a love song. I, I think it was because I'd, I'd figured out that the girl who lived down on the bottom of the hill was kind of cute. You know, it was this kind of thing. But I, I, would, I would ride the bus to school every day. I lived out in the country. And uh, in this particular route, I was one of the first houses that got picked up. So I would get on the bus, and I'd be on the bus for 30 to 40 minutes. I'd be on there for a long time. And my mom's in the service. Mom, I don't know if you subjected me to the, I don't know if you know this, how this went. But then I got on the bus, and I'm fairly certain that my bus driver had, had gone to bus driving school somewhere in Nazi Germany. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain, because she, she was just, Nancy, if you're watching, I'm sorry, but she, she was just mean, right? She's just mean. Chad, stop talking. Chad, get your feet out of the aisle. Chad, rah, 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 rah. She, you know, she did. So there was no joy on the bus, except for the fact, and most of the bus drivers didn't do this, Nancy would play music. So she'd have music going while we were on the bus route. So that would kind of help. She'd play the radio. And I remember there was one song that every time I came on, I was like, oh, I like this song. It's a cool song. And when I'd hear it, it would get stuck in my head. Now, the, the song, now some of you may be familiar with this song. Do you remember? I think they were like a one-hit wonder, this band. But do, do you remember a song called The Things We Do For Love? Does anybody remember that song? Do you remember this? Okay, so just so it can get stuck in your head. Here's just, here's just a little bit of it. Just so, that, so Ben, you got that for us? Do you remember this song? Do you remember this song? That's my favorite part right there. Isn't that cool? We had a guy in first service sitting right down here singing it like it was a great hymn of the church. He was like, arms raised, he's praising the Lord. I don't, I don't know what was going on. But... Uh, that's the song gets stuck. Like walking in the rain and snow when there's nowhere to get. Isn't that cool? I love that. I love it. Who gets stuck in my head? The things we do for love. Isn't that a good question to ask? I mean, that's the whole point of this series. Answer this question. What are the things we do for love? If God's love is in our heart, then what does it look like? How do we respond? What are the things we do for love? That's 1 Corinthians 13. Paul takes a very simple word and he expands it for us so that in your life and in my life, there's no doubt what love will look like. We're going to look at just verses 4 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 13 today. You've heard it before, I'm sure. Even if you've not spent a lot of time in church, if you've been to a wedding, there's a good chance that they read it there. And it's a passage of scripture that we're so familiar with that we can hear it read in a place and it just kind of goes right over our heads. We know it, we're familiar with it, but have you thought about what it really means? Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Powerful passage of scripture. And here's, here's what I want to do today. We're going to do something um, a, little bit, a little bit different. Because I don't want some familiar wedding lines to miss its target of your soul today. So we're just going to talk about those five verses. And I want to give you seven questions for personal evaluation. For you to consider. There's a good chance you're going to want to have a, have a pen and some paper ready. Maybe if you take notes on your smartphone, be ready to, to write a few things down. Here's why. Not because what's going to go on the screens is, is worth writing down, but because of what I think the Holy Spirit might speak to your heart in these next few moments about how these questions apply to you might be worth taking a note so that you can go back and say, God, how do, how do I do this? What are the things that I should do for love? This should affect you in a certain way. This message is a little bit different today. Here's, here's entirely my hope. My hope is is that over the course of these next few moments, the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to meddle in your life just a little bit, to, to mess with you some, and to think about those relationships where you should be expressing love in your marriage, with your family, with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, in the workplace, to strangers. These, these words that we'll look at should affect how you think about things like racism, and interacting with people whose personal agendas may be different than yours. It affects how we think about our church. It affects how we interact in our neighborhoods. Ultimately, it comes down to our relationship with God and how that's lived out in our lives. We're going to move fast. Most Sundays, I try to drop a whole lot of scripture on you so that you can go back and see, see that I'm not making this up. And you, you, can, you can use it as interaction in your life. Today, we're going to, pretty much going to land right in 1 Corinthians 13. And let Paul's words... Speak clearly to you. I want to give you seven questions for personal evaluation. Here's question number one. How do you react when things do not go your way? How do you react when things do not go your way? First service, I said that, and I watched one husband give his wife a look like, can we go now? <laughs> how, how do you react when things do not go your way? So I, I've, been, I've been studying this. I've been working on this. And um, last night, Rhonda said, hey, can we run to the store? We need to pick a few things up. So we went to the store. It's just she and I. And... Um, when I pulled up, I pulled up and I got a prime parking spot, like front row. I mean, I was living the dream, pulled in, you know, we went in, got my stuff and, uh, and, and we're going to leave and we get out to the car and it's one of these places where, you know, you drive down either aisle and then you pull in kind of nose to nose so that the cars are like, you know, facing each other. And that, but when we get out there, there's no car in the parking space in front of us. You know what that means? That means I can pull right through, right? You don't have to back out. How many of you love that? I just love that. When there's like nobody there, I don't have to back out. I feel like a man. I just, like with swagger, I'm driving out of this parking space. It's just kind of what I do. And so this is good, and we're sitting there. We're just about to go. I literally, I reach up for the gear shift, and some joker pulls in right in front of me. I, I think out loud, I went, seriously? Are you kidding me? You're going to do that to me. Now, he didn't know what he'd done. Dude's just parking, right? But things did not go my way. That's not what I wanted. Now, it's kind of a silly example, but I can tell you can relate. What do you do in those times when things just do not go your way? Do you get frustrated? Do you get selfish? Do you get disappointed? Just being honest, I can have a tendency to get a little mean. 
I can, I can get a little short with it. I mean, I used to. Before I was a senior pastor, I used to. I don't anymore. I don't anymore. But I used to. I'd get, I'd get a little frustrated. I'd get a little mean. Now you know how to pray for my wife, right? What do you do in those times? Here's what Paul says. Paul says, when things don't go your way, he says, love is patient. In those moments when things don't go your way, love is patient. That, that word patient literally means that you are not short tempered does that give you a visual you need <laughs> it means you're not short-tempered it means it means you don't you don't blow a fuse you don't overreact he says in those times when things don't go your way love is patient he also says that love is kind that it reacts with goodness maybe even a better word is that it reacts with with grace because there's times that you know I, I wanted to get out of that car and i wanted to go up to that joker and go you just i was gonna pull you wrecked my day but you don't do that. One, because that'd be goofy. Two, he was bigger than me. Um, but what's the point? In those moments, what do you do? You're kind. You react with goodness. And then he says something really interesting. Something that, that, that maybe even causes us to dig down personally a little deeper. He not only says love is patient, love is kind. He says this, love does not envy. Because one of the tricky things about when things don't go my way is that I see you and I see how things are going for you. And I begin to say, man, I wish, I wish I had what he had. I wish I could do what she does. I, I wish that things would go for me the way that it's going for them. Why don't I have, why can't I be? And we ask that question, and it puts us in a place where we not only can begin to envy someone else, we can begin to be a little bit jealous of them. It can begin to affect us even to the point where we're displeased with the success of others. I don't like it. And I begin to not like you because of what you have and I don't. And so I have to take a good look inside. How do I respond when things don't go my way? Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Here's, here's pretty much what he said. He says when things are not the way I would like for them to be, love reacts with grace. Isn't grace a good word? I'm so thankful for God's grace in my life. It means I choose to respond in a way that's, that's graceful. I could get frustrated. I, I could get jealous. I could be selfish. Instead, if, if I'm going to live a life of love, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And for some of you, you're like, come on, dude. You're only into question number one. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to do? If that's, if that's you, and, and this is something that, that we'll repeat kind of throughout this message. How do you respond to this? I think the very first thing you've got to do if you're challenged in one of these questions, if, if, if as we talk about this, there's a, there's, a, there's a check that's going on inside of you, if it even hurts a little bit, start here. You've got to recognize this. If love's an issue in my life in a certain place or in a certain way, then the first thing I have to do is give it recognition. I recognize that that's a challenge. The second thing I may need to do is repent. I may need to go to God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I have a tendency to lose my temper. But that's no excuse. God, I need your help. Lord, I need your forgiveness for the way that I, I wasn't very kind. Even more, you might have to go to your spouse or, or to your child or to your parent or to a coworker or a friend and go, hey, I, just, I need to ask you to forgive me because the way that we interacted there, that wasn't, that wasn't very loving on my part. So when you recognize that you need to repent and then I think you need to request God's help. Lord, I, I request that you give me strength. Lord, I ask that you help your love to be at work in my life. 
Because he can help us. And he tells us that when things are not the way I would like for them to be, love reacts with grace. But then for question number two, Paul flips the script on us. Look at what he says. The first thing he tells us what to do when they don't go our way. Here's question number two for you. How do you respond when things do go your way? How do you respond when things do go your way? This is the other side of that. Because sometimes I'm just frustrated. Other times I win. (laughs) And I like it when things go my way. Sometimes I can be tempted to go, I have something you don't have. I get to do something you don't get to do. I've got this and you don't. Or here's these three words that can change a life, that can change a conversation that we love to say. We love the words, I was right. You get in an argument, you're trying to debate something, you Google it to see what the facts were. There's a beautiful thing to be able to say, I was right. I was right. I was right. What do you do in those moments? And look, sometimes it's okay to celebrate. There's good things that happen. This is graduation season we've just gone through, right? We have parties, we go to graduations, we celebrate. That's a right thing to do. But have you noticed this? And and this is interesting to think about. When things are good, there's a fine line between celebration and irritation. I know people who know how to celebrate, and I know people who know how to irritate. What's the difference? Well, I think Paul would propose the idea that it's love. And here's what he says, when things do go your way, he says, love does not boast. Love does not boast. What's that word boast mean? I am, I am not making this up. I'm not trying to be funny. If you, if you read a commentary, if you study and look at what the, that Greek word for boast means, the, the literal meaning of it is, is windbag. A windbag. Love does not make you so full of yourself and hot air. Love is not a windbag. Love does not boast. And love is not proud. When we're prideful, we're very, we're very self-focused. We're very self-centered. But Paul reminds us that even when things do go our way, love is not proud. It doesn't focus in on ourselves and who we are. In fact, Paul tells us something very special. He says that recognize this when things do go your way. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. His point here is this. When things go my way, love responds with humility. When things do go my way, love responds with humility. Not so full of myself. Not taking my celebration to a point of irritation. But giving God the glory, glory, giving God the credit, acknowledging who he is in our lives. That's, that's what love does. Which leads us to kind of this third question, which, which is kind of interesting here. Number three, how do you interact with others who are different than you? Number three, how do you interact with others who are different than you? And you can categorize different in all kinds of different ways. Different personality, different age, different background, different race, different gender, different kind of social class or status. There's so many ways that we can look at this. And no matter how you look at it, here's the kicker. So many times the issue is that when I interact with you, I only see things through my own eyes. I never take time to think about what it's really like for you. Because in the midst of that situation, I'm completely self-focused. This, this guy walked into the, the ER and the doctor came to see him. He says, doctor, this is terrible. I have this terrible pain on my left side. Something is not right. I have this terrible pain on my left side. I think it's my appendix. And the doctor said, well, but he says, I'm pretty sure it's not your appendix because your appendix is, is on your right side. And the guy goes, oh, that's it. My appendix is in the wrong place. 
he was, it's cheesy, I know it's cheesy, but get the point here. He was so self-focused that he would reject the facts because he was so centered on himself and what he thought was true. That's where we, that's where we lose this, this labor of love so many times. We can't see the world through anything but our own eyes and our own hopes. Love allows me to see life through the eyes of another. And if we'll wrestle with that, if we'll, if we'll grasp that, it can make a big difference in our lives. See, love allows me to see life through the eyes of another person. Their pain, their disappointment, their concerns, how people look at them because of who they are, what they do or do not have, what they do or do not look like. Have you ever thought about it? What's it, what's it like to see life through the eyes of another person. That, that may be what scripture says when it encourages us to bear each other's burdens. Here's what Paul says about this. He says, love does not dishonor others. In the way it treats other people. In the way it speaks to other people. In the way you act towards other people. You're, the NIV says love does not dishonor others. Your Bible version may, may use a different word. I think it's very simple. It says love is not rude. Do you know what it's like to be treated rudely? Nobody likes that. Love doesn't do it. Love is not rude. He, he also goes on to say that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not selfish. Instead, here's what love does. If you want to know how you interact with others who are different than you, love treats others with value and focus. See, oftentimes I don't give to other people the same value that I would give to myself if I were in their shoes because I'm only seeing it through my own eyes. But if I'm interacting with you in a, in a sense that has love, then I'm going to value you and I'm going to focus not on myself but on you. I'm going to love other people with value and focus. It changes things. It makes things different. And it's key for us to see that. And especially as we talk about this today, that's what love does. These are the things you do for love. But let's, let's dig in just a little bit deeper because Paul does this. He not only asks, how do we interact with those who are different than us? Here's question number four. How do you interact with those who irritate you? How do you interact with those who irritate you? Every service, all three services, when I've said that, there was this nervous laughter from somewhere. So I must be on somebody's list of, uh, of people who irritate you. Is it just true that there's some people who just irritate you? I mean, it's just, I don't know if it's a matter of personality. Maybe, it's, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I don't know. But there's just there's these times where there's these people that it's just personality or difference or just, just something that's there. You're just kind of like, oh, man. lady walked up to me after the last service, and she goes, were you talking about me with question number four? really irritated me um no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding what's paul say he says in those times when you interact with these people because it's gonna happen he says love is not easily angered love is not easily angered i love it because that that word choice i don't i don't feel like i have to say much more about it kind of self-explanatory isn't it in those times when you come and you irritate me, love means that I'm careful not to get too easily angry with you. When it's easy for me to be that short-tempered person in those times when I'm tired or I'm hungry or I'm, I'm angry, I'm lonely, whatever it is. 
in those times, it's important for me to remember this. I may not be able to control if someone irritates me, but I can control how I respond. It's it's a fact. I'm probably going to get irritated at some point. But I can control how I'm going to respond to that irritation. And so Paul says that love is not easily angered, and then he just has to meddle a little bit more. For some of us, this, this is really significant to hear. Love is not easily angered, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That word that, that he uses there in the New Testament literally has the idea, like, like accounting, like bookkeeping, like, like business, where you keep track of something. It was, it was a term that would have come out of the accounting world of the first century. And here's the idea. For some of you, in the windows of your mind, you have an Excel spreadsheet that you keep open all the time. And you've got names. And you've got name, date, time, action, how it made you feel, and how many times they've done that to you. You have a file that's open for somebody in your life and you keep a very detailed record of their wrongs. And you like to go back to that. And you like to keep track of that. And here's why. Because in those moments, it reminds you of how bad they are and how good you are. In fact, every so often, you print it out for them. Here, I created this Excel spreadsheet. What a jerk you are. I call it my record of wrongs. I'd like to share it with you. Oh, I know some of those things are 20 years old, but I just thought you should be reminded. But love, love keeps no record of wrongs. Here's why. Because that spreadsheet that looks so organized and tidy to you is poison. It's toxic to your soul. And it will, if you live in that place, it's going to eat you alive. Now, let's, let's, let's be honest. Are you going to be wronged? Yes or no? Yeah, there's people who are going to wrong you. And you need to do what's wise. If there are people that you need to create distance between, that you need to work on that relationship. If there are places where you're experiencing pain and you need to, you need to handle that, I'm not saying you ignore that. I'm just saying this. At some point, don't keep track of it. Don't count it. Don't live there. Because as much as you think somehow your spreadsheet's hurting them, it's killing you. And recognize this. Here's what Paul's saying. What do you do when you interact with those who irritate you? Love's first choice is forgiveness. Not getting angry. Not making another note in that spreadsheet. Love's first choice is forgiveness. Because if you don't, it's you that are affected, not that person. I've been... um, I've, been, I've, I've had the opportunity to work out lately with some guys who know a whole lot more about fitness than I do. Muscles and, like I didn't even have any until a couple weeks ago. Muscles and, uh, and just health and diet and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that, that when, I, when I've had the opportunity to like be at the gym with them and I'm doing something, they'll say, hey, does that hurt? Do you have any pain? Because if you have pain, that means that something's not right. I mean, it's going to be effort, it's going to be stress, but if you, if you have real physical pain, if you're experiencing that, then that means that something isn't right. And if that's the case, then you've got to get it looked at and, and get it fixed. You need to do something about that. There's, there's, a, there's an opportunity, there's a chance here that as we've talked about some of these things, some of, some of you said, oh, that's true, or that's what God's Word says, and some of you are like, ouch. <laughs> so you're like, oh, that hurts. That's, that's painful to think about that. As I review these questions... If there is, that may mean that there's something that's not right that's good for you to consider. So let's go to question number five, which is this. What gives you joy? Question number five to consider, what gives you joy? Let me, let me, let me kind of 
help you with this because we're talking about love. How's joy come into this? Have you ever watched that program, America's Funniest Home Videos? You ever seen that show? That's a cool show. And you can watch that, and they got funny things that kids say, and they got kids sticking their food up their nose, you know, or wedding mishaps, all this kind of stuff. My, my favorite stuff is they'll put together a whole montage of clips where people do things where they get hurt. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is, I don't know why it's just funny when you see some guy, you know, jumps a diving board and just kind of bites it and the pool collapses or he's skateboarding and he crashes. The best are when they do the things with, with cats falling off of TVs. Have you ever seen that? I just, I just, it's funny. Like, like, I love that. I love it. But when other people are getting hurt, is that love? <laughs> you find joy in that? Here's what Paul said. Paul said that love does not delight in evil. Not, not, just the, not just the simple idea that I don't like what is evil or what is sin. He, he means that even in a deeper way where he says this. Love does not take pleasure in the misfortunes of others. Now I think we should all rejoice when a cat falls off a TV. Amen? Oh, you cat people. But... Yeah, and, and you don't have to you don't have to confess this to anybody. But you ever hear, had that moment when you hear about the misfortune of somebody else? You would you wouldn't say it out loud, but kind of deep down inside, there's that little that little dark part of you that just says, "Good, they had it coming. They probably deserved it." That doesn't sound like love. Paul says, "Love does not delight in evil." But he says, love rejoices in the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices in the truth. Not just the truth of God's word that we can stand and build our lives on, but even the truth about other people. Sometimes we can, we can hear a story about somebody. Um, I think the Bible uses different words for it, gossip. And we hear a story, and we, we like the story. It's, it's a cool story. We're not really interested in whether it's a true story or not, because the truth might make it not such a good story. And so we have to ask ourselves the question. Love forces us to ask the question. What gives you joy? See, love finds its joy in the things that give God joy. And so when you, when you find something that, Kind of get you a little stirred up inside. Ask yourself the question, how's God feel about this? Because love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. Which takes us to question number six. Here's number six. What are the default values of your life? What are the default values of your life? And let me, let me illustrate that for you a little bit. I mean, that, that word default, when I use that, it's kind of, what, what, what are the default settings? What does your life automatically go back to? What is it that's natural for you to kind of go to? So let me give you just a, an example that you may be familiar with from the world of technology. Your cell phone, your, your phone, has default settings of what the ringtone will be. So if you, if you buy this phone, or oftentimes if you, if you upgrade, or you, you restart, or you, you do an upgrade, you know, an update, or something like that, It'll, it'll go back to its default settings, to the way that it was manufactured at the factory. That's what it goes back to. I know what some of your default ringtones are because I've heard them here, here in church <laughs> last Sunday. And, um, and, and, and that happens sometimes, right? So, so what you can do, I've done this on my phone. There's times where you can go in and you can change the default settings. Like, like when you go to church, you put it on vibrate. And the, and the other thing, the other thing, like what I've done is I've changed some of the default settings so that when certain people call, my phone rings different. 
That's what it automatically goes back to. So whenever Rhonda calls, I have the one ringtone that just, like if you just call me, it's going to come. And that's just kind of my business, kind of, kind of that irritating ringtone. But when Rhonda calls, it's just this little jazzy thing that happens. And I'm like, yeah, it's Rhonda calling. You know, it's that kind of thing. That's it. That's the default setting that I've put my phone to. What happens in your life? What, what do you automatically go back to? How, how do you respond in situations? So I'm going to read for you what Paul says they should be if there's love in your life. And here's what I want you to do. Just right now, think of one primary relationship in your life. Th- think of a person who you should be expressing love to. It, there should be love in that relationship. It could be your spouse, your parent, your child, another family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. When you interact with that person, what are your default settings? What's the natural thing that happens? Here's what Paul says. Paul says that love always protects. That's, that's our default mode. That's what it should be. Kind of this idea, and you, you can get this today. It's kind of like an umbrella, right? It covers you. It shields you. You know what that protection does? It, does, it doesn't go dragging out old stories about that person. It doesn't look for ways to hurt that person. It covers for others. Love, love protects. He also says that love always trusts. That's, that's our default mode. Think of that primary relationship in your life. Love always trusts. It believes in the other. It does not think the worst of that person. Love always trusts. Now, let's go back to being honest a minute. Are there people in your life who probably aren't that trustworthy? Don't be blind to that. But what if we would allow, with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings, the opportunity for us to think the best of other people. Love would call us to do that. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes, Paul says. That's, that's, that's part of our default mode. Love always hopes. That's not some kind of unreasonable optimism. It's looking forward. It's believing that failure is not fatal. That it's not final. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And the last one, love always perseveres love always perseveres it means it's not overwhelmed it means it doesn't give up it does its part it does not quit here's here's what it comes down to that others will be blessed if love is the default value of my life well chad You've just kind of pointed out for me in the last few minutes that it's not. So what do I do? Well, that's why we're doing our homework. See, as we take time in God's word, as we spend time in 1 John and in 1 Corinthians 13, reading these things and allowing God's word to get into our heart, even as we read it more than once, what it does is it helps to reset our default values. It helps us to let God's love be in our lives. And you'll be amazed how when you put God's word in, it starts to come out. Do you know what I'm talking about? So if we will do that, it's something powerful that takes place. If we will allow God's word in, it changes things. But let's just be honest about this. Here's, here's part of the problem. <laughs> Getting ready for this message, I wish I could just preach these things, but then I have to think about these things. I had, I had to process these last six questions as well. And if you ask me to give myself a grade how I've done just this week on these six questions, well, let's... Let's just say I wouldn't make the honor roll. How about you? So what do you do? Because the bottom line is this. I'm going to fail. 
If I try to do this love thing all on my own, I'm going to fail. Which then takes me to the last question, number seven. Where do you place your hope? Where do you place your hope? Paul makes it very simple for us. If, if your hope for life, and actually we'll talk about this more next week. If your, if your hope for being loving comes completely from within you, I know for a fact I'm going to fail. But you know what doesn't fail? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Love never fails. God's love, his unconditional grace, what he's given to us, what he's done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, love never fails. And I want you to remember this. If you're wondering, how am I ever going to be able to live this out? How am I ever going to be able to express love in the way that Paul says? You can't do it on your own. But 1 John 4, 19 reminds us that we love because he first loved us. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And uh, just before we, we wrap up here, I want to take a moment and pray with you. You know, sometimes I'll ask you to stand or raise a hand or do something unique. But today I'm going to ask you just in a moment of your own introspection, personal evaluation. How, how did these questions affect you? Has the Holy Spirit been maybe speaking to your heart about the love in your life. And the truth is, love never fails. And some of us need to say, God, I need more of your love in my life. In fact, maybe for some of you, you've never even entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you not only, you not only need love in your life, you need his forgiveness and his grace and his strength. There is no better time than right now say, Jesus, I recognize you as the one in charge of my life. I make you my Lord. I need you to forgive my sins. I make you my Savior. And then in this next moment, as I pray that you would in your heart just fully commit yourself to Jesus. But I want to do this. I, I want to read through those seven questions one more time. And as I do, would you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? about the things we do for love. How do you react when things do not go your way? How do you respond when things do go your way? How do you interact with others who are different than you? And how do you interact with those who irritate you? What gives you joy? What are the default values of your life? And where do you place your hope? Lord, we place our hope today in the truth from your word that love never fails. And God, that even when I fail, even when life's tough, even when I can have a tendency to be frustrated or disappointed or easily angered, your love can be at work in our lives and if we will allow you to you want to make a big difference God as we've looked at today it may mean that we choose to respond with grace or humility or with forgiveness 
that we focus on others. God, that we allow ourselves to consider what you find joy in. Lord, that we let, let you change the default values of our lives through your word and through your spirit. But Lord, we rest in the fact that as you're working in us, and sometimes we know, God, it's a lot of work for a long time, but that as you work in our lives, you can change us, you can make us more like Jesus because your love never fails. Lord, as we go from here, would you help us to live lives of love? Lord, would you send us out from here with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Please don't forget to sign up for Serve Week, love the 419org We'll see you next Sunday.